0: Welcome back to Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro. I'm Ryan and
1: I'm Brian. And this, and this, is, the this Bible is the Bible Bistro. Bistro.
0: A podcast all about the Bible, <laughs> theology and all things related to the Christian faith. And this is season 4, episode yeah. number 2 of season 4, but What's episode, our total episode?
1: What, what episode? This, this will be, be
0: episode then? 140. Wow, 140. 140. 70 times 2. So seventy times seven, we just got to mim- get the four hundred ninety, <laughs> and then it will be complete.
1: Anyway, H- yes, yeah, so one hundred forty-four thousand. We're on episode one hundred forty-four thousand. That will be something.
0: <laughs> I heard one hundred forty-four thousand episodes. I saw the end of time. Yeah, anyway, gonna, you know. that's a little Revelation joke for all of you out there. Anyway, so we're. So I don't know. Can you make jokes about revelations? Yes, I don't know if you can. Well, it happened. <laughs> So today we are kicking off the much anticipated the long awaited <laughs> the, the the series that everyone has been clamoring for
1: and yes. that is
0: what is it? it, it's,
1: it it's the it, we're going to study the book of Leviticus. That is right. One of the Least studied books? I I think so. There there is evidence to say that it's probably one of the least studied, least read, at least of the sixty six that we have in the Bible. Very few people like to read the Book of Leviticus, and that's kind of what gave us. I mean, we were talking about let's do an Old Testament because we had we had done Ephesians um, this last season, and so we went through kind of what what books do you want to do, and kind of almost as a joke at first we were saying Leviticus, but uh, there's, there's lots of good things. And then we got to thinking, you know, if, if you're doing read the Bible through in a year and you're a day or two behind, you're probably just about starting Leviticus right now. This is for those that are
0: like, I quit at this point. <laughs> there's some of you out there. That's okay. Maybe yeah. this will jumpstart. You know, I took a, good. A, I took a year Bible plan and I stretched it out to two years because I was that's studying okay. other things in between. That's okay. That's what uh, that's I'm saying okay. is, is like. If you started and you, you've kind of, yeah. you've lost your way, just listen to Leviticus and we'll, we'll spend, uh,
1: spend some time in God's word. It's always, always valuable. So
0: yeah, that's right. I so, would say if this is the least, do you think
1: numbers is the one just above it? Maybe, I don't know. It, it's probably, they're probably kind of neck and neck, I would guess. Uh, I mean, there's some of the minor prophets maybe too. I mean, not a lot of people spend, you know, 13 weeks in Obadiah or anything, but, but, anyway. uh, <laughs> anyway, let's talk. What, so what's our problem with Leviticus? I thought we'd do a little bit of introduction and then I want to look, uh, we're going to kind of look a little bit more thematically at the book of Leviticus. Uh, I am going to focus on the first seven chapters for a couple of weeks anyway, but I want to introduce the book first of all. And and kind of when I was thinking about this, I'm like, what is our problem with Leviticus? What, what do we not like about it? Um, and, and a few things came up and I'll ask you if you have any ideas as well ryan what 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 our problem with leviticus is uh, i think a lot of times we approach it as though it is completely irrelevant so i had this very famous uh when i was well i don't know if it was if it was famous but when i was uh, a professor at lincoln christian university uh there was a, a project that was a part of one of our enter enter the bible class that i kind of inherited this project and basically it was you're supposed to write a summary of every book of the bible um uh, you're supposed to go through and basically I can't remember there are five different things I believe one of them was what's the theme you know what are your thoughts as you as you you know look at this book and more than any other answer to that question when it came to Leviticus is I had students saying I'm just glad we don't have to keep these laws anymore and that's basically all they were saying they're getting out of the book is man, this is detailed. It's, it's boring. I'm glad we don't have to do this because of Jesus. And, and I would always kind of push back on that and say, I think there's more to learn here. So that's, that's kind of what I want to go to. If, if, and here's the second point, if they, if you do go into the book of Leviticus, you know, if you say it's not uh, completely irrelevant, you go and you find rituals That you might say, well, these have been made obsolete by the coming of Jesus. So, reading the details of how to perform these rituals might make you think, well, what what am I going to learn from this? How's this help my spiritual life? And and then I think at the worst, Leviticus is the book that often gets quoted uh, when people are kind of trying to poke a little bit of fun at the Bible or whatever. They'll Mm -hmm. look at some of these very harsh punishments. For what seemed to be to us pretty strange sins, right? Um, things like wearing garments that have been woven by two from two different fabrics and this kind of thing, and so they 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 look at this and they say, "What's well, it's out of keeping with what I understand the nature of God to be?" When I look at the rest of Scripture, so Leviticus almost becomes kind of this outside outlier kind of book. That uh, I, I don't really learn too much from. The, the the pushback I would always have with all of those though is I would say this is still the word of God, and, and it's true of all five books of what we call the Pentateuch or the Law. Is this is still the word of God, and I think that there are things that we can learn from from looking even at these arcane details, right, of these right. of these obsolete practices. There's a reason God chose to reveal it to His people, uh, and, and uh, Leviticus gets quoted in the in the New Testament, and there are some of those practices that we see that um, become important to help us understand the New Testament. So that that's what I think we can still we can still learn from.
0: Yeah, well, do you, I, I, do you have anything think, to add to that? No, anything I think else? you've hit the nail on the head about why people don't <laughs> like to read it. I mean, for me, it, it, you get to the point, and, and I think it's because i mean i mean i know this is new to them but because we don't live in a ritual based in this way kind of system it's hard for me to kind of go i you know i kind of get to the point like wait which what what's this one for what's this Uh one for you know i certainly kind of like get confusing and i'm like okay got it blood blood you know
1: don't (laughs) do this well it's been handed down interestingly enough so so you know the tradition was that young jewish um Young men, uh, when they were even very young, started memorizing the Old Testament uh, in its in its entirety, mm-hmm. and um, you know it has been handed down at least by some of the rabbis that Leviticus is where they started. Um, mm. And I think it's because for them, as they practice these things, they would recite them in order to remember that they were doing them correctly. There is, and I'm going to say there is some repetition. We'll see this even today, um, because. Uh, we're going to look at basically chapter one today, and what we have there is um, instructions about the burnt offering, and and so they give you instructions about how to do the burnt offering if you use a, a, a bull, but then the then the author goes through Moses, I think, goes through and tells us how to to perform this if it's a goat. Right, <laughs> a goat. Yeah, and so big difference, and, and so you do see some, you do see some repetition here, Uh, but I think there are still important things for us to understand. So, a couple of things I'll say is Leviticus is the shortest book in the Pentateuch. That's one thing to look forward to. Is, at least it's short. Yeah. The other, the other interesting thing is it stands right in the middle of the Pentateuch. So, if you think about that, there are five books of the Pentateuch. Leviticus is right in the middle. You have Genesis. You have Exodus is obviously the story, but most of us forget that the last half of the book of Exodus is about how to build the tabernacle, mm-hmm. uh, and, and then we go right from there. And this kind of makes sense if you're thinking thematically, if you're thinking in terms of, you know, canonical criticism would be the the fancy term for this. You go from the the tabernacle being built into. Uh, what is how, how are what are the, the uh, sacrifices and things that are be, be performed in connection with the tabernacle? How is this furniture that was talked about being built at the end of Exodus? How was this to be used in the worship of God? And then also the setting apart of the priest and we'll talk about that more in a later episode, but uh, but that setting apart of the priest takes book uh, place in the book of Leviticus uh, and then we get to the book of numbers. And, and Numbers, I will say this, you said is, is at the second least book. I, I think when we read the book of Numbers, we have this kind of misnomer that that it's all about uh, a census. And there's definitely a large part of it that is that is involved in counting the various uh, tribes and the various families and clans. But there are also narrative elements in, in Numbers uh, as well. Um, and we'll see this in Leviticus also. So, I want to just give three suggestions on our outset for kind of reading the book of Leviticus, some things to keep in mind as we approach it that I think will help us gain a greater appreciation for the book of Leviticus. So first of all, I think, and I say this all the time about various books, but I think we focus sometimes on the wrong, or or at least we begin on the wrong side of the equation. So we, we, we read these arcane laws and we think about what would it be like for us? If we kept them, when maybe the question should be, why would God have given these laws? What 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 does it say about God and His character and His nature? Uh, you know, what is God trying to to reveal? Like all Scripture, it is, it is God's revelation of Himself. What is He revealing about Himself by the giving of these laws? And hopefully, even some of these arcane ones that we'll look at a little bit later, I think you'll be able to see something about. The things that God holds to be important, uh, the thing that things that God wants for His people, uh, the things that God expects from His people—you know these these kind of uh, things—are what we have. Okay. Secondly, we need to realize there's other kinds of material other than just legal description. So, you know, when we talk about so all five books of the Pentateuch are called the Law often, but Leviticus and also Deuteronomy have long sections that are that are Law, right? That are just these listing of um, this is what's to be done. If it's not done, this is the penalty. This is what's not to be done. If it is done, here's the penalty. That those right. kind of what we would say is as you know strict law kind of things. But there is also narrative. There are two two major stories in the book of Leviticus. And here's, you know, I'm big on narrative. Here's the interesting thing that I noticed. I can't remember how many years ago this has been now, but even these legal settings are set within a narrative framework. Okay. Let, let me give you an example. Just look at the very beginning of the book of Leviticus. This is Leviticus chapter one. I'm going to read the verse one and the first part of verse two. So here it says the Lord, or, or that's the word Yahweh there, Yahweh called to Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. That's a narrative. That's a story. God calls Moses, and he speaks to him. He said, speak to the Israelites and say to them. And so even the way, and then then it talks about here's how the burnt offering is to be given. Even even in the giving of these laws, it's set within a narrative framework. Do you Mm -hmm. see what I'm saying? That God called Moses, he told him these things, and then he asked Moses to tell Moses the Israelites, these things as well. So there are different kinds of material in the book of Leviticus. It's not simply a listing of laws, uh, but it does contain some of these other kinds of things. Thirdly, okay. just like other books of scripture, what do, we, what do we always say about other books of scripture, right? Anytime we're looking uh, at a context context is important and what when we say context what do we mean
0: like where the people are at what's going on in the world right. historical context so Let's- historical
1: context cultural context i always say is important uh, we also talk about language and and i mentioned canon we we, we talk about that some and i think we're going to see a little bit of that here in in this place as well so look at it within its context it's not the, these laws are not just given in a vacuum Right. They, right, there's a real historical setting and a cultural setting for this. I will mention at this point, um, there are those who would say that Leviticus is actually written very, very late. I, I don't agree with that for a number of different reasons. There are those who would place it in a post-exilic. Uh, you know, after the exile, the priests are setting these things down. I I think this is one of the books of Moses. I think that's why he's called the lawgiver. I think that's the reason he has the standing within the community, among other things. And we see narratives from earlier in Israel's history that concern this law. So I think Leviticus is given, uh, so the historical setting would be the Exodus, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, All of these books, these five books of Moses are set down uh, within that Within that period uh, of after the 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 um, leaving Egypt and then entering into the into um, uh, the Promised Land, entering into the land of Canaan after this these years of wilderness wandering. Of course, again, as we mentioned before, Deuteronomy is focused primarily uh, upon that. But that that's the context. So I'll, I'll say some more about that in just a minute. But but you know, think about that culturally. But now historically, there's another really interesting thing that's going on. And and I've got a couple of verses that I ask you to have up for me, Ryan. Yeah, Uh, Read Exodus chapter 40, verse 17. So this is the very end of the book of Exodus as the tabernacle is being completed.
0: So the tabernacle was set up
1: on the first day of the first month in the second year. Okay, the second year uh, after leaving Egypt. and, And when did it say the the First day of of the first month in the second year. First day of the first month in the second year. And then look at the very beginning of the book of Numbers then.
0: Okay. Let me get there real quick. Numbers 1-1. The Lord spoke to Moses in the tent of meeting in the desert of Sinai on the first day of the second Second month month. of the second year after the Israelites came out of Egypt.
1: So... What we have going on at the end of the book of Levit- – uh, I'm sorry, Exodus, after the building of the tabernacle, it says there's this is the first day of the first month. And then we have the beginning of the book of Numbers. It says it's the first day of the second month. And the book of Leviticus is right here between them. So we can kind of put that within that historical period of that month, <laughs> if you mm-hmm. will. And I mentioned this already. Again, we'll talk about it in a later episode. But one of the things that's happening here is Aaron – as the high priest and his sons, as the priest, are being set apart for uh, the work uh, of you know keeping the laws and and you know doing performing the rituals and these kind of things. So the book of Leviticus we can set within this month, right? right. Two years after leaving Egypt, after they had left Egypt. Uh, we understand that Moses received at least the beginning of these. You know, we often say the first part of the book Book Leviticus was received by Moses on Mount Sinai. So there's you know some regulations given uh, then very specifically, but that takes place in, in this in this point. So here's here's kind of where I'm going to go with this. As we've talked about before, when we've talked about various books of the Pentateuch, I think the historical setting isn't post exile. I think it's written for a people who are coming out of Egypt after having lived there. Uh, And we see stories in the Pentateuch that show that the Israelites were struggling uh, with some of the things that they picked up in Egypt, right? They they had lived there for, for, for hundreds of years at this point, and they had been influenced and affected by the culture around them. This actually relates a little bit. Um, to what we talked about in the last episode, Ryan. If you think about it, the social imaginary is a way we could use to talk about this. Or uh, we often, you know, I, f- I follow, um, you know, N.T. Wright's uh, approach in this where we talk about worldview. Uh, so what is the worldview of the Egyptians? And, and to look at a worldview of any culture, uh, you look at the four major elements of symbols, uh, beliefs, Practices and uh, stories, like what are the narratives that are being told? So they would have grown up with the stories of Egypt, right? They would have grown up with the symbols uh, of things like the the centrality of Pharaoh, like the 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 role that Pharaoh had in keeping the seasons and, and making sure that the day un, unfolded the way it was. They would have grown up with idols. Right, They would have they they lived in a very it was a very much a polytheistic culture uh, and we see that reflected even in the exodus as we've talked about elsewhere in other episodes um, that that it was a polytheistic culture and, and and all the practices right all all the things that the Egyptians did is what what was their, how do I say this? What it was kind of the well, like we talked about the the water that they were swimming in, right? Mm-hmm. The, yeah. the, un, the 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 un, the unannounced um, um presuppositions of their <laughs> of their position, right? Right. They were also going into another polytheistic culture in Canaan. Mm-hmm. And we've talked about this when we talked about Genesis as well to think about, you know, one of the things that the creation account is about is how it differs from the creation account of Egypt or the Canaanites, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's, uh, they had their own creation narratives as well. Th- both, both of those cultures had creation narratives. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Both of those cultures had priests, right? Mm-hmm. You've got the priests uh, that are mentioned, these, these, uh, magicians that are, that are mentioned in the Exodus context that, that had a religious, um, role within the society. Mm-hmm. And, and so part they of had, what- They had rituals uh, uh, around exactly, their worship. Exactly, exactly. Uh, even, you you remember, one of them I like to always talk about is when when Moses went out and met the, for the first plague. Do you remember the first plague was turning, turning the Nile in, into blood, blood. right? Mm-hmm. And it says that he went out and met Pharaoh in the morning as he was coming out. And that was one of the things that Pharaoh's responsibility was to do on a daily basis was to go out to the Nile river and, and wash, right? It was part of the ritual of, of keeping the life flowing, the the life giving Nile flowing, right? It was part of his responsibility. And that's where, um, you know, this giver of life instead becomes literally the lifeblood of, of Egypt, uh, and becomes, uh, instead of a source of, of death and, and, uh, thirst, you know, anyway, but, th- but you're right. They had different, different rituals. So why, why do I mention all this? One of the things you need to think about when you're reading through the book of Leviticus, again, we we start with ourselves and we go, man, that's weird. <laughs> you know, yeah. if I want to, if I want to cut the forelock on the, on the corner of my beard, I want to cut it, right? Because because we think about – we live in an in an age, as we talked about before, where we think about our rights and what we want and, and that kind of thing. But these are often – these laws are often set in contrast um, to the, the cultures both from which Israel had been rescued in Egypt and the one to which they were going and being asked to um, – defeat in order to take the promised land. So you get what I'm saying. Some of these laws that seem strange to us have a countercultural, they're asked to be a set apart people, which is one of these kind of, you know, continual holiness uh, being set apart is is an important part of the book Book of Leviticus. So keep that in mind as you read and think about how this would, would have been heard within the original culture first. And then we talk about what we can take and apply from. And this is where we get in trouble if we just took a law, you know, random law from the Book of Leviticus and out out of context. And well, that applies directly to me today, right? Yeah. Uh, outside of historical and cultural context. Thoughts on that, or any any ideas?
0: No, I don't know if I have any ideas. I don't know if I have any, idea. I I have <laughs> any ideas. No, I, I think that's important to realize. You know, there is there's something about being set apart. You know, that it's right. it's from where they've been and to, to where they're going. Um, and, yeah, I, I'm going to say this. I think it's still going to be hard. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's one of these things. That's, no, absolutely. It, I, don't, I don't think this is ever going to be. Um,
1: <laughs> Your and, favorite it, book.
0: <laughs> well, I don't, know, I don't know if it's going to ever be my favorite book. I'm not saying there's no value, but I think it's. Right. Again, I think l- since we don't live in a, a time where this is these kinds of ritual practices seem to be part of everyday lives. So it's hard for us to to look at them. And again, like, as you said, not to go like, this is nuts, but kind of go like, these had important functions for God's people right.
1: in this context. So what kind of tools do you think we need as we, as we look at Leviticus, and what are some of the things that can help us overcome that distance that we find our, ourselves from that culture?
0: Well, I think, as you just said, like the historical context, understand yeah. like where— You know, I think this has always been as I've kind of started to think about the Pentateuch and um, is where they are in their journey. Like, as you kind of brought up, like where they are in this journey on their way to the promised land. They're not in the promised land yet. Like, it's, and you know, it's been, yes, it's been two years from Egypt. But like there's still a lot of baggage that's being brought there's a lot <laughs> of baggage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah a lot of well gold and you know how you think as well right? um yeah so just i th- i think understanding that understanding and then i think again seeing what god is doing through yeah. it like what what's the What's the message behind the ritual is yeah. just as important as as anything else?
1: You know, a good Bible handbook or a good atlas, and we'll, we'll link some in our in our show mm-hmm. notes. Uh, I just now thought of doing that. I hadn't thought of doing that before. But uh, those can be helpful not only in the book of Leviticus but with some others, it, it, something that will give you some of the cultural context. Uh, if you're really digging into this, a commentary could be helpful. But probably for most of us, you know, Leviticus is not going to be that much of a, a study. We're just wanting to, mm-hmm. you know— Again, it is God's word. Let me give you this. Maybe you'll find this interesting. More than any other book in the Bible, uh, we have that phrase that I read to you in in chapter one, verse one, that God speaks to his people, right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, and in fact, it's mostly to his people. Uh, We do find later that he'll speak to the priest, who then in turn speak to to the people as well. But most of the times, I think it's something like 52 times, uh, maybe even more than that, uh, we find God speaking in the book of Leviticus. Very short book, right? But it's full mm-hmm. of God revealing Himself again, speaking uh, and and telling these things. Uh, Aaron is mentioned in that, and the priest. But again, God is said to be speaking to Israel more than He speaks directly to the priests.
0: Well, and I and I think the thing that made me as I was uh, more interested in Leviticus myself, <laughs> as someone who previously had previously not not been, is when you look at when Jesus is asked, what are the greatest, what are, you know, what is yeah. the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, right. mind, and strength. You know, that's Decalogue, you know, yep. and then he quotes Leviticus. Leviticus. Yeah. Love your <laughs> neighbors yourself. Love your neighbors yeah. yourself. And so... You know, it's one of those things where you're like, oh, look at those pesky notes at the bottom
1: of the Bible where, you know, <laughs>
0: Jesus is quoting Leviticus.
1: And I'm like, what's
0: that cat doing in there?
1: Like, right. I thought well, this was garbage. And it's funny that, that – well, and that's been – it's been said about the book of Leviticus that it's basically a pile of rubbish with one pearl in it. You know, and they say Jesus pulled that pearl out. Well, I, no, it doesn't work that
0: way. The rest of it's just the old dirty <laughs> clam oyster. It there doesn't
1: work. It doesn't work that way this is God speaking to his people and yeah there's some things that are difficult like any but here's what we're always saying even the parts of the Bible that we think are quote unquote easy to understand you still need to do this cultural historical thought about it first I think you know I said here's some tools I think just being aware that we need to stop for a minute and think about its cultural and historical context is, is the key to, to really beginning to seriously engage, you know, where God has revealed himself in scripture. So, so that's, that's what I think. Gotcha. One of the things I think we'll learn about as we look through the book of Leviticus is how, how, what is God's thoughts regarding sin? And, and and so the way I kind of put this in her notes is how do we think about sin? Um, when, when we think about sin, how do we think about it? And, and you know, we'll maybe kick that question around a little bit. I don't know that we come up with a definitive answer, but I think there are different ways we can think about it. But then the real thing I want us to think about is what's the difference between the way that we see sin and the way that, that God sees sin? For, you know, what's the difference between seeing sin from our perspective and from God's perspective? So how, how do you think we see sin often? Hmm. <laughs> A uh, rule that we have broken. Okay, so something uh, else. Something. So a failure, maybe, or yeah.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I mean, as a Christian, or like just general in the world. In
1: general, and and I want to get to because again, this goes back to what we were talking about last week with with the whole thing with uh, social imaginaries and what does our society say about sin? I, I
0: would say society says about sin number one that it's cultural cultural constructs yeah. like it's that the church has made them up right. and that most often that something that's labeled a sin is something that is taken away from me. Right. It's not right. it's it's something that I you know it's it's regressive on me okay. on the individual.
1: Yeah, Taylor even says that there are times where the church has been seen as oppressive, right? Uh, and mm-hmm. this this goes goes to Freud and and uh you know some of his his ideas that the church has actually harmed society because we have um, spoke oppressively about some of these things that are, are perhaps a desire of, of of a human, right? So if I mm-hmm. want it, again, if in in a, in a time where I am thinking about the highest good being what I do, uh, you know, what I want to do, um, then to tell somebody they're they're not able to do that or they shouldn't do that is a is an oppressive position, right? right? <laughs> yes. yes, And I think we see, we've seen that in the past, but I think we see it today as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I would go so far as to say there are parts of society, there are, there are people in society who would kind of even scoff at the idea of, of sin in general you know not only not only is it is, is it not something to be avoided but there really isn't any such thing as sin there's only you know what i want to do what i choose to do and what i what i choose not to do that kind of thing right um, and, and so um, you know you can think about nietzsche and you know that that kind of an idea if if, the, if the you want the power to, structure of right yeah that's the
0: cultural construct of it, that right. we've, we've made it up, and it's a, it's a thing to oppress someone else.
1: And if we believe there is no revelation from above, right? If, if mm-hmm. we don't believe God has spoken, uh, then this does become the church creating these things— you know, for for whatever reason, to, to oppress people, or you know, however however you want to see it, to gain power for itself by by putting these restrictions upon people, however however you want to understand that. But we believe that God has spoken, and again, the book of Leviticus says over and over again, God spoke to Moses and told him to tell the people, and and God speaks to His people. So, um, what do you think then? So God's perspective of sin. Um, Here's kind of the, 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 and you, we've got a whole episode on sin. Do you remember yes, that? Is, yes. Was that first season? Was that season one? Uh, we were just a, we were just I a think fledging, it was. We were, we were just, just a young fledgling young, podcast then. We were just beginning <laughs> podcasters. That's right. Now uh, we're full blown we,
0: something. <laughs> something.
1: We, we're three stripe now. We were, we were, we didn't even have our first stripe then. But, um, when we think about sin, and I'll, I'll refer to that episode just just because you know I'm not going to develop those ideas in, in in full today, but I think from God's perspective, sin are those things which are opposed to His nature, and and, and as I mentioned in that episode, that's important for me because. I, I don't think sin is simply random. I, I don't even think it's God making things up, right? Right. It's not God choosing to go. Uh, I think they're going to sh- like that too much. Nope. <laughs> can't do that. Should let him eat pork or beef? When,
0: uh, you know, I mean, I made the pig, but I was kind <laughs> Amy, of, I was drowsy. You
1: know, I don't, I don't think it was that kind of thing. I think it, it is because it's opposed to his nature. Sin is that which is opposed to his nature. Now, I was going to talk about this later. We probably will talk about it again. P- people always want to, and, and I've kind of rebelled, I'm a little bit of a rebel with this. People always want to categorize the legal material in the Pentateuch. Have you, when you, when you studied, Pentateuch in, in, in yeah, school. so
0: it's been like this is uh, moral law, this is legal law. Like there's three different kinds of laws
1: in there, three or, or four more. or five. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean there are different ways that people categorize them. So yeah, the one you mentioned, there's moral and uh, and sometimes ritual, uh, and then others have to do with community sometimes, or um, you know the idea of laws like we would have a law you know no jaywalking or something along those lines. So, you know in other words to keep the peace in the community, if somebody steals your bull, what what's the reper, repercussion of that? What what's, what's the ramification of that? What happens if somebody steals something or um, <laughs> I don't know, there's all kinds of different. In, in other words, what governs how we live in community? And we often want to do that again from our perspective. <laughs> And what it is, sometimes it's like, well, we've got the weird laws, you know, the dietary, hygienic laws, uh, Mm -hmm. all all those about what we can eat, what we can't. And then there are other laws that are about community. The moral laws, though, and and people people will categorize them in that way in order to say, well, the moral laws are things like love your neighbor as yourself that still apply uh, or things like, you know, do not bow to an idol. We would say that's still a moral law, and then and then we'll define an, an idol. You know, even more broadly than something made out of wood or stone, that kind of thing. So the problem with that, and I noticed this a long time ago, and I, and I thought I was the only one, but there's a, at least a few others of us out there now. The problem with that is when you start to look at the at Moses, at the lawgiver, he doesn't seem to make those kind of distinctions uh for him it's it's the law it's what god has said so here's how i like to approach it is basically again the same way that i approach any scripture is we look at the law and we try to understand it again within its context what what was god saying to his people what why did why was this important for him to say to his people what was he trying to teach them and then we can draw a principle from that i think that still is applicable to us today and that's how Leviticus becomes, I think, the active word of God for us, uh, the same as I would say we should do in the book of Judges or the book of um, Nehemiah or Psalms, for that matter. We look to see what is the principle that God is revealing uh, as he as He reveals the, himself to the authors of Scripture. What is he revealing here? Uh, what is the principle that's at work, and how can we apply that to ourselves? Hmm. Does, that, does that make some sense? Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll probably come back to that another time. Yeah, so <laughs> <No>. Makes sense. <laughs> Having said all that, let's look at the very first law then that is given uh, here, which is in uh, Leviticus chapter 1. Uh, we'll start with verses 2b um, and, and and go on down through 14. We go Just read 2b, uh, uh, second half of, of verse 2, because mm-hmm. we've already read the first half, through verse 9. And, and I'll go ahead and say, these are instructions for the burnt offering. Okay.
0: All right, bring as your offering an animal from either the herd or the flock. If the offering is a burnt offering from the herd, you are to offer a male without defect. You must present it at the entrance of the to the tent of meeting so that it will be acceptable to the Lord. You are to lay your hand on the head of the burnt offering and it will be accepted on your behalf to make atonement for you. You are to slaughter the young bull before the Lord and then Aaron's sons, the priests, shall bring the blood and splash it against the sides of the altar at the entrance to the tent of meeting. You are to skin the burnt offering and cut it into pieces. The sons of Aaron, the priest, are to put fire on the altar and arrange wood on the fire. Then Aaron's sons, the priests, shall arrange the pieces, including the head and the fat on the wood that is burning on the altar. You are to wash the internal organs and the legs with water, and the priest is to burn all of it on the altar. It is a
1: burnt offering, a food offering, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. So the burnt offering is different than any of their offerings in that the entire animal is consumed on the altar. So the entire, it's burnt, right? The Mm -hmm. entire animal is burnt up. And we'll see a little bit later some of the different reasons that people might be required to give a burnt offering. Some of it was for sin on the Day of Atonement, for example, it was a big deal. And did you notice that word atonement in there? Yep. We'll no, come back uh, to that it'll in be a minute. Accepted on your behalf to make an atonement for you. To make an atonement for you. Uh and so we'll come back to that in, in a little bit later, but but there were prescribed times of the year and of the day when the priests were supposed to offer these kind of burnt offerings on behalf of the people as a whole. Uh, so this this had to do with Maintaining a right standing between the community, you know, in other words, God's people and God, uh, it, it was it was it was to do that. So uh, it's the only of the offerings, and we'll be looking at, at other sacrifices or offerings we'll be looking at next week. But this is the only one where the entire animal is consumed. Now, what I want you to notice, I don't, I don't know, I, I should have said this before you started reading it. But notice that there are some things that is the worshipper's responsibility, and there are certain things that are the priest's responsibility. That's part of what's being delineated here. Mm-hmm. So, what yes. what does it say is the worshipper's responsibility? Uh, first, you are, you are to lay your hand on the head of the burnt,
0: burnt even offering. Even before that, there's
1: something else that the worshipper is uh, supposed to do. Yeah.
0: You're to offer a male without defect.
1: Okay, and even before that, you Ring are to as you're offering an animal. <laughs> go. Gosh, we'll get to the male without defect, but but. The first thing is the worshipper is the one who's responsible for bringing the, the sacrifice, bringing the offering. It, mm-hmm. It's it's so here's here's the thing: is all of these sacrifices are sacrifices, right? They cost the worshipper something. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, in, in a time where Israel was an agricultural nation and everybody had flocks and herds, this came out of your flock or your herd your herd would be your your bull in this case your your beef a- animal uh a flock would be from a sheep or a goat so so you bring that in, and that that is that is a cost to you um bull goat bulls I should say not bull goats those are not things that's a weird that's, <laughs> a, that's, a, that's a new movie on the sci-fi channel <laughs> right. bull goat bull goat short yeah. so so the bull is is, um, is valuable. And these are the ones that are prescribed to be offered on the day of atonement, for example, for the entire community. Um, because if you think about it, I mean, I don't know, did your family ever put up a side of beef for uh, anything, anything like that?
0: Uh, uh yeah. I mean, okay. we've gotten a side of beef before. Yeah. It's that, not that's small. That's
1: a significant amount of meat, right? You, you're mm-hmm. going to be able to, especially, you know, of course we eat more meat and I tell you, you smoke some good meat, but, um, you know we eat more meat than they would have in this culture. Mm-hmm. you think about the uh, number of people that a that a bull would, would feed. feed right and instead you're taking this thing of value to the community and you are burning it and offering it instead to God uh so this says something about the seriousness uh, of this of this offering. This was not something that was done lightly so that was the first res- responsibility. you mentioned it was a male without defect. Which, interestingly, that's quoted a couple of times in the New Testament as well in regard to Jesus as a sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And I'll go ahead and say this. This is kind of putting the cart before the horse a little bit. But I'll say one of the things for understanding the sacrificial system is to understand what it means when Jesus is offered as a sacrifice. When the Hebrew writer calls him a sacrifice, for example. When John in his gospel portrays him as a sacrifice. Um you know the things that Jesus says uh, about being a sacrifice. To understand what that means, uh, we have to have an understanding culturally of the sacrificial system, uh, and so that's 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 a reason on its own for understanding the book of Leviticus. We need to at least understand the the, the sacrificial system in order to understand what it means. Paul says about us about us as the community. Is we are to offer our our bodies as living sacrifices, right? And mm-hmm. so, even that kind of language, and again, we we kind of gloss over that. But to a Pharisaic rabbi like Paul, that would have he would have known what that exactly what that meant. He would have participated in offering those kind of sacrifices in, in the temple. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and so, it, if we can reclaim or recapture some of that, I think it helps give us the language that the New Testament uses in order to talk about, to discuss what it is that Jesus has done on our behalf. So they bring something that belongs to them, a, a male without defect, okay? So this isn't, you can't bring one with a broken leg, you can't bring mm-hmm. one. You can't bring one that you're wanting to get rid of anyway. <laughs> right, so that's from our perspective. From, from, the, from the other perspective, we are offering this to God. Right, and so it says something again. I think about his nature and his character. He is absolutely holy. He is absolutely set apart. Uh, and, and so we offer him the best. Right? We don't offer him, um, you know. And, and even you know, you can think about coming to him in worship. Um, you know, we 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 should have a certain amount of seriousness when we do this because we recognize what a, what an incredible thing it is. So what's the next thing that the worshiper is supposed to do? You, you mentioned it earlier.
0: Uh, present it at the entrance.
1: Okay, so they present it. Uh-huh. And then... Lay your hand on the head of the burnt offering. Okay, so what they're doing here, they lay their hands on it, and, and then what? go ahead and read the next part of what it says. Uh, the burnt
0: offering, it'll be accepted on your behalf to make atonement
1: for you. On your behalf. So this is when we talk about – when we use the the theologic term substitutionary atonement, this is the basis of it. Um, When you're laying your head – hands (laughs) – on the head of the animal, you are symbolically transferring your sins, your – uh, of course, it's an animal, right? It, it it can't really bear your sin, but it is giving us that image for later when we will have a perfect human being who will bear our sin on our behalf, right? That that one can stand in for another. That mm-hmm. that I can have something else, some creature, living creature, die uh, for my sin. Uh, and so, then, what's the next thing that it says?
0: Uh, you are to slaughter the young bull before the Lord. Who is
1: the the worshipper? The worshipper. Is that interesting? So, a lo- again, a lot of times we picture this as something the priests are doing, and there were certain occasions they were supposed to. But he's here, Moses here, you know, from God telling him this is picturing the worshiper themselves bringing this animal, placing their hands on it, and then they are the ones who slaughter it. Now, the first thing the priests do, Aaron's sons, what does it say that they do?
0: Uh... Bring the blood and splash it against the sides of the altar at the entrance to the tent of meeting.
1: So they're supposed to collect the blood that is shed from this bull in this case. Uh, So the worshiper is the one that cuts its throat, (laughs) not to get too graphic. And and the priests are the ones who capture the blood in order to go and take it and splash it on the altar. Uh, and then I'll say some more about the rest of this here in just a minute. But the rest of the all, uh, offering is cut up, and again, in the case of burnt offering, all of it is offered uh, uh, to God. the The priests are the ones who do who do that position of it. They they know how to cut it up. They know how to position it uh, so that it's it's completely uh, burned up. So, trying to picture that, then I always like to stop and and, and ask. What do you think that would teach someone? What what would this action teach a worshipper? What would it cause the worshipper to think about? Do you think
0: you did this? <laughs> you know, I, is, way- is this animals like? I mean, the animal's gonna writhe during this You know, like as you slip through, like the, the the pain. I don't know, like the sure. Um I don't know. I'm placing myself in that kind of going like. I, I'm for me, I'm not used to the animal sacrificing. Like, this is kind of a disturbing experience, <laughs> it, you know what I mean, to, to be it, part of that. It,
1: it would be. So here's here's how Paul says that, I think, in Romans. He says, the wages of sin is death. Okay. So if we go back to the garden, I, I've said this before, I think, and you, again, that episode on sin, I think when we turn our back on God, we are separating ourselves from the source of life, from the one who gave us life. Mm-hmm. And we're choosing death. <laughs> I mean, just to be frank, in our rebellion, in our sin, we're choosing death rather than choosing the life that he's offering. And, and so, uh, again, from God's perspective, what has separated us, uh, I think, is is our, our turning away from him. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that the worshiper, you know, as you said, I did this right. This is this is a reminder to them that there is consequence to their sin. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that their sin has consequences, and that there there are things that happen as a result of that. And and ultimately, their sin leads to death. Right? Mm-hmm. Not to put too fine a point on it, uh, but you're the one. Again, the worshipper is the one who's cutting the throat of this bull, and, and that. <laughs> you know that that would have a, an impact. I would. You're going to
0: remember. You're going to remember doing I, I, this.
1: I would think so. Um, and so it's a little bit. You know, not to not to move too quickly to the application, but it reminds me of when we take the bread and the cup. You talked about this a little bit last week about you know is there something happening here? Mm-hmm. We are called to remember Christ's sacrifice, right? Uh, he says, "Remember my body broken for you, and remember my blood shed for you." And, and I think in a similar way, God. So here's here's the thing. I think in the book of Leviticus, it, it is a it is a multisensory production. Mm-hmm. God doesn't just tell them right. Th- this is this is show and tell. This is this is something mm-hmm. that would have I think stuck with them. Uh, and and reminded them and i think it's the same when we look at the bread and the cup and we, we are to remember the sacrifice that christ made for us that he placed himself in, in our he he is the substitute right more than that again mm-hmm. listen to our episode on atonement but 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 he he placed himself in our in our stead Right, and and I, I think it's important for us to remember that. And I think the more we remember that, the the I would say this the 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 more vividly we remember that, I think the more it perhaps reminds us of the seriousness of the consequence of the sin that we we sometimes so easily find ourselves um, submitting to. Right. Yeah. So, other thoughts on that? Any any questions? Uh, I'm really of? glad you brought that connection. To,
0: to communion, you know, to think about that, th- this parallel of, you know, I'm talking about like, oh, how uncomfortable it would be to be the one that, you, traumatic, you know, like sure. uh, the, the, the killing this animal uh, and connecting that to Christ on the cross and then, you know, right. how we uh, commune with him in that. Um, I think it's a really important, distinct, you yeah. know, it, it, it helps put a fine point, I mean, we... Uh, you know, we read it in the New Testament, but then to think of it visually, you talked about this, like sure. it's the sight and the sound and it's the smell and the smell. This, and the smell uh, I, like I mean,
1: you've been at a slaughterhouse, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is,
0: uh, yeah. Like, we, that, we don't,
1: we, we, we don't, we put our slaughterhouses on the edge of town for a reason. right? Well, I,
0: yeah, I, I'll be honest. Like when I've read Leviticus and I'm like, they're sprinkling yeah. blood on everything. I'm like, this is
1: mm-mm. gory.
0: Yeah. Well, it's just gory. And then it's like how many animals and like, what, what's this experience, you know, yeah. but I think it's, again, as you kind of pointed out, like what it's drawing attention to, like the, the horror of it is kind of, you know, is there a point kind to the, of the horror point. that the horror
1: <laughs> is the point of it? Yeah. It, it, I think it would have been a visceral experience. No, no pun intended. Um, and, and I think it would, it would have had, yeah, it would have had influence one thing I wanted to mention more, and and this is just kind of a minor point. So one of the thing it tells the worshiper to do is you wash the hind legs and the organs. Is that what it says? Yeah, yeah, it is. So why yeah. do you think you wash the hind legs of an animal? <laughs> the feces off of it. So you know, I don't want to I don't want to over theologize, but there's uh, there's something to be said for we don't you know we don't. Offer crap to God, Um, (laughs) right? Uh, Oh boy, I didn't know that was going to come out today. Let's go. Let's put that on a T-shirt. So Uh, well, it could happen. (laughs) We're working on this. So um, you you get you get what I'm saying. It's it it, again the cleanliness. So you talk. You were talking about the blood, and yes, it would have been a mess, and it would have smelled. I mean, I'm I'm not Mm -hmm. joking. Burnt burnt um, cat, you know, a, a burnt bull would smell. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 you know, there's, there's, there's a lot to this, it, it, the sights and the sound, it, it would not have been, you know, it's not candles and, uh, you know, flowers on the altar, right? It's, it's, it's different. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think again, this is so, so here we're in chapter one of Leviticus. And I think it's pulling us into, um, do I want to say a conversation with God, it, it pulls us into his, his feelings about, about our feelings isn't exactly the right word, but, but his, his um, statement on our sin, right. And, and what is necessary, um, you know, without, without blood, there is no forgiveness of sins as we'll see. Yeah. Uh, and so, again, I don't think it's him arbitrarily, I don't think God arbitrarily did this, we're the ones who who separate ourselves from the source of life uh, and and this is a reminder that death is the result of that yeah,
0: and it's, you so, know understanding okay. this helps us then as we I mean, we keep, uh, understand like, I'm just thinking about Hebrews right now so sure. you understand the Hebrew writer is making strong yeah. connections to yeah. sa- the sacrifice and what Jesus did and and what he's what he's done. So
1: yeah, one of the questions, of course, is is you know, the Hebrew writer says, "Well, the blood of bull and goat can never take away sin." And and again, in our sin episode, I talk about why that's the case. But but the question may come then, why why mm-hmm. <laughs> why do we have these years and years and years of sacrifice if it didn't effectively deal with sin? But I think it was instructing us. And by the time we get to the perfect sacrifices, the Hebrew author talks about. With Jesus, we understand something about what it means that someone can stand in our stead. Here, though, instead of the blood of bull, bull and goats, we have the perfect human being. The one who, and again, I think it's important the Hebrew writer says, the one who was tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Mm-hmm. Um, he doesn't have to die for his own sin, he, he's not separated from God. Um, and, and so he becomes for us uh, that sacrifice two more passages just just and so here's the repetition you know so look down in, in chapter leviticus 110 mm-hmm. just read that verse for me
0: if, if you the want. offering is a burnt offering from the flock from either the sheep or the goats you're to offer a male without defect
1: okay so here's what you do if it's a bull now look down in verse 14
0: if the offering of the Lord is a burnt offering of birds, you were to offer a dove or a young
1: pigeon. And there's a little bit of change here. It notices, and again, these are kind of the minor details you'll necessarily notice as you read through, but the the priest is the one, because probably because of the small amount of blood that a, that a pigeon or a dove would produce, they're the ones who actually wring the neck and, and rip, literally rip the bird apart mm-hmm. in order to put the blood on the altar. And um, the... The thing I'll mention here, and we'll talk about this a little bit more next week, <clears throat> is that uh, so there there are other types of sacrifice that will allow a grain offering, but not the burn offering, because the, the blood offering burn offering requires blood, mm-hmm. and, and that's that's what we're talking about the the meaning of it, the significance of it uh, isn't simply that it cost me something, but it is also to remind me something about uh, it's about what my sin costs right? It's not just that it cost me financially to buy this animal, but it also, or to produce this animal, but it also is my sin that 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 causes this. But there is lev- there are levels to all these offerings, depending upon uh, the person standing in the community and the idea of, of their financial well-being. Um, later on, it'll be specifically that the, the poor only are required to offer the the pigeon or the dove. And so when the sacrifice is offered to the temple, when uh, Jesus is circumcised when he's eight days old, um, you know, the fact that they bring two pigeons says something about their, their economic standing, Mary and Joseph's economic standing. Um, They didn't have flocks and herds at that time. Mm -hmm. Uh, He was, he was not a shepherd, uh Joseph was not a shepherd he's called a worker in stone or you know we'll talk about that another day but um the uh, i just freaked a bunch of people out with no with no real reason but but the uh <laughs> the 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 idea of um the idea of the uh, you know the social standing god makes it possible for these worshipers to bring what they are able to bring uh, they're not all required to bring a bull um, so, cause that would have been
0: a uh, uh, heavy, very
1: hefty. It, yeah. So I was going to mention that. So, so again, you, you think about a freezer full of beef and how many people that would feed a sheep would mm-hmm. be obviously significantly less, mm-hmm. um, but still a good amount, a good amount. And, and then a, a pigeon, you know, would be probably a day's meal, right? Um, something along those lines. Um, so, you know, like, let's say it'd be the difference for us between like a, a bull and uh, a hog. Not to, <laughs> to me, because we, we don't eat a lot of lamb in this country anyway. Uh, we ate a lot more when we were in Scotland. But but again, a leg of lamb, for example, is not nearly as much as uh, rump roast, something like that. And, and then, you know, or the amount you'd get out of a cow. And then compare that again to a to a chicken. Let's say, or a capon, even would probably be closer. Um, you know, it's just not as much value; it's not as much nourishment, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's that's what we have here. So that's the burnt offering, and and we'll talk about the other offerings then next week that we see Leviticus kind of laying out. So, excellent. I hope you see that there is at least some spiritual value <laughs> in Leviticus. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, this again is just chapter one. Uh, but I think there are things that that it can teach us and make us think about and and help us to understand again, even even parts of the New Testament better.
0: Yeah, well, I, 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 and I appreciate bringing out the 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 two roles. You know, I always when I read it, I always see the yeah. priest, the priest action, but never think about like you are to do this or the you know the worshipper, what the role the worshipper has in this as well. That the what that that uh, that the, their hands are getting. Involved with it as well. Besides just applying the sacrifice.
1: I think we, you know, I think that's kind of our picture. And that's why you know, slowing down and reading some of these passages I think can can help give us a little bit of insight into it. Excellent. Well, reminder, I appreciate it. Yeah, reminder that uh, you've done some incredible work on the website. Thank you again very much. And well, that, and you
0: reference some uh, Bible, you know, maybe the sure. Bible Atlas, Bible Dictionary, um, and so we're, we're going to put some links there to resources on there. There'll be probably links to Amazon uh, if you would, if you decide that you want to kind of follow along with Leviticus and look at Bible Dictionary and so forth, and you don't have one. If you'd click on one of those links, uh, that will take you to Amazon, and then you'll pay the same price you always do, but we'll just get a. a a couple dollars there on the the sale price of that. Also have a link to the SIN episode. We've referenced that a couple times here uh, about that. So what you can do is go to the website and there'll be a tab right underneath the audio player when you go to the episode and it'll say links. And if you go into links, you can see all of the wonderful links that we're providing for the episode.
1: Make sure to share this episode if you think it'd be helpful to somebody else or another episode that you've enjoyed. Tell somebody about the podcast. We always are looking for new listeners and expand uh, our uh, reach.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so it'll be good. I'm excited about this. I mean, I know good. it's going to be a little <laughs> ev- I think everybody's like, ah, "I don't know about this, but I think it's going to think it's going to be good." I think it's going to be good. We're not going to yeah. go not not every week's going to be chapter by chapter. No, We're no, going to no. Yeah, no. yeah. So not don't, the
1: next 21, 21 weeks. We'll no, be we're not going to do 21 weeks of
0: Leviticus yet. Yeah, be I think
1: we'll be done with the first seven chapters after next week, probably.
0: Yeah, so. excellent. All right. Well, Brian, I appreciate it so much. Yep. And uh, we'll talk to you. We'll, talk, we'll all talk together next Tuesday on the V-show. <laughs> all right. See you later, Ryan. See you, Brian. Bye.